1: Good morning everyone. You're listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a one-hour show where we talk to gardeners from all walks of life and grow in a variety of different plants. My name is Kate Copsey and I am the host of the show. And just for the record, I have been an active Master Gardener for over a decade in about six different states, I think. Um, and you can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com or through America's Web Radio Station site. If you have questions about something in your garden please post it on the Facebook page which is the Master Gardener Hour and we may answer it on the air. This morning we are going to be talking daffodils yes those spring flowers and we're going the first person I thought about when we when I thought about daffodils was uh, Charlotte Daffodil Planter Germaine good morning Charlotte
2: good morning Kate
1: Yes, and uh, yes, and I, I think you said that on your page that you're a master gardener as well, and you work for the American Horticultural Society, um, which are both kind of generalist type of things. But you are uh, your real interest seems to be daffodils. So where did you start going from general horticulture into daffodils particularly?
2: Well, actually, I went from daffodils into general horticulture. In 1973, I was traveling in Europe as a college student, and it was springtime, and I went to the Kuchenhof Gardens outside of Amsterdam and saw the incredible displays of thousands of tulips and daffodils and the rivers of Muscari, and I just became a bulb nut on the spot. And later on in life, I lived in the Sierra Nevada foothills, And it's not safe to grow tulips there unless you want to feed the deer. So I became completely devoted to daffodils and ordered lots of different varieties from different catalogs and split orders with friends, and uh, the deer never ate them. And they're such a cheerful, wonderful flower and so easy to grow that that became my focus.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the big difference between daffodils and tulips, because uh, tulips, the the deer really seem to enjoy the minute they come
2: up. <laughs> but, um, well, they're wonderful. I had an aunt who sent me 10 tulip bulbs one year, and I thought, well, this isn't going to work in my garden, but I put them out anyway, and they were growing, and nothing happened, and the buds were forming, and everything looked terrific, and I went out one morning, and everything had been snipped off very neatly, just as they were about to open, and apparently they're delicious, just like roses are. But with daffodils, not only do the deer completely avoid them, but they do come back year after year, which isn't true for most tulips. So they're an inexpensive bulb you can plant so that you have uh, at least two months of bloom time. And um, th- there's really no reason not to have daffodils.
1: Oh, I I, I agree. I mean, they are just the first thing that open pretty much in spring. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I always think of them as being the flag-waving parade of spring. Um, and uh, I know there are other spring flowers, um, like the mini- miniature irises and things like that. Uh, but when do generally... Uh, the daffodil. When does the daffodil season kind of generally start and finish?
2: Typically, the earliest that well, it depends. I mean, with our odd winters, uh, it's you've had daffodils blooming in January too in cold climates. But usually, the earliest that you can have in zone seven is mid-February, and then they bloom on until late April.
1: And, and you say that some of them can bloom as early as January in some areas?
2: Yes, it's just depending on, you know, how warm your winter is. And uh, it's, you know, it, it's so hard to say these days with the, the snows coming and not coming. But the good thing about daffodils is that even if they open and you're in an area that gets snow, every gardener who's had them will remember that the daffodils will get mash down under the snow and as soon as the snow melts they bounce right back up again so they're a very sturdy stock and a very rewarding plant so they will be the first thing to bloom after the crocuses
1: and i i think some of the the little tiny ones tend to open probably a little earlier than the the main flush of them or is that just because the ones that I particularly have, the smaller ones that are more than the, the larger ones, are there some larger ones that do open early?
2: There are, and the little ones that you're talking about, I think you mean the cyclomeneus division of daffodils, and they're the, the little short ones. Uh, most of us have tete tete in the garden. It's that cute little six-inch tall yellow trumpet, and tete-a-tete's early. But the bulb that I like best out of all the yellow trumpets was... Uh, Rinveld's Early Sensation, and that opens at least two weeks before anything else. And it's a nice medium sized daffodil. It's about 14 inches tall, and it's bright yellow. And it shows up, and you're, you're off to the races.
1: Yeah, Um, and I I guess um, with phenology, people use plants. Basically, when one plant comes into bloom, it's an indication of kind of soil and air temperature type of thing. Um, Is there a way maybe that we can use daffodils like that? For instance, if we get um, a specific sort of daffodil, it would mean that maybe the potatoes or the peas or the sweet williams can be put in around that time. Can daffodils be used like that?
2: I don't know. I've never tried to use them that way. Uh, What I think is important, though, is to keep a garden journal and make a note of the date that the daffodil blooms every year and the date that your different types of daffodils bloom because it's just good for your own records to see how the seasons are changing in your garden. Um, But I didn't ever time anything based on when the daffodils bloomed
1: okay um because i i know you know with um some people say you know when the the i think it's the forsythia blooms that's a good time to start putting fertilizer down on the lawn if you oh, do it too okay. early um oh. you, you think that you know what whatever it is uh that you're fertilizing or may, maybe it's a crabgrass hasn't started to grow whatever <laughs> but anyway back, back to daffodils let's get back to some um some basics um they are, is it right that they are true bulbs? They're not tubers or corms or anything like that. They're a true bulb, is that right?
2: That's right. They're a true bulb and they're a monocot. They put out one main leaf. And um, the way they reproduce is that once they're in the ground and they're, if they get good fertilizer, water, and sun through their leaves, then the bulb will produce baby bulbs from that same basal plate. So if your daffodils are well-fed then you've got, uh, you know, babies that will be produced right next to the bulb year after year. And that's one of the great things about some of the daffodils are more likely to do that than others. And, um, for instance, if there's a new fancy kind of bulb, like the green daffodils, they're probably uh, not going to be something that you'd put out in an orchard to spread out over the years. It would be something you'd plant near your front door in a container. But uh, they do just keep growing to maybe a maximum of uh, an additional 16 bulbs, and then they'd stop finally. But it's not like iris where you have to dig and divide them. You can just let them keep going on their own.
1: And so they don't actually produce a a seed in the true way that we think of in some of the other plants that that have a seed version. It's just from root division that that we, we propagate them.
2: Right, right. They produce small bulbs underground. <laughs> but what, what, about,
1: what about planting? Because that is always one of the, the biggest questions. And I've heard everything from twice the width to one and a half times the height um, and things like that. But would it be right to say maybe common sense would guide you, kind of the little ones are just an inch or two under the ground and those great big ones should be five or six inches under the ground?
2: Yeah, the, uh, and there are different schools of thought, but basically uh, you plant, you dig a hole that's twice as deep as the height of the bulb. So you just eyeball the bulb. First of all, it's always pointy side up, and you eyeball the bulb and then dig a hole that's twice as, as tall as the bulb. So um, the nice thing about bulbs is that they're very resilient. So even if you plant them upside down, They'll still bloom. They'll just, you know, the stock's going to have to work harder to get to the surface, but it will happen. So if you put them in sideways, it'll still work. But basically, uh, you dig a hole. I mean, most daffodil bulbs are about three inches tall. So if you do a six-inch deep hole, add some phosphorus mixed with the soil and uh, add a little compost to the soil and put the bulb in. I always layer, I try to layer other things in when I'm planting bulbs because if you've got the hole open, why not? <laughs> so if you're in a protected area, you can just put tulip bulbs in next to the daffodil bulbs about um, you know an inch or so apart and then add on some more, another couple of inches of soil. And I almost always plant some muscari or grape hyacinths a couple of inches above the daffodils because that's what gives you that pretty river of blue violet. And uh, the one that worked really well for me in the past is uh, Muscari Armeniacum. Christmas Pearl blooms a little bit earlier than some of the other Muscari, and that blooms for me pretty reliably at the same time as the mid-season daffodils. So that's very pretty. It blooms with Ice Follies and uh, Salome.
1: And I, I have to say, I've, I've like thought, that. yeah, I've thought about mixing daffodils, um, you know, in in containers with smaller ones on top Mm -hmm. Uh, but I've never thought about doing it in the ground but that I don't know why I wouldn't have thought about it that way but that's a great idea just plant them in layers on the ground and when we're um when they've finished blooming totally finished blooming um the old way used to be to just chop them off and then people wanted to tidy them by putting a a little elastic band around them what what do we do with them
2: (laughs) Yeah, don't braid them. Um, it's you know it's a waste of time and and they don't like it. What you need to do, I mean, that is the tricky part about daffodils is that you need to have the leaves feeding the bulb for the next year as long as possible. So you do need to leave the leaves on until they've completely turned brown. So sometimes people plant daylilies as a companion plant with the daffodils, and that way the daylily foliage is coming up and hiding the daffodils as the leaves turn brown um the other thing you can do is you know just tough it out because they aren't the leaves aren't brown very long but in terms of cutting back the thing that you should cut off is the spent flower so that it doesn't put any more energy oh okay into the into the bloom and into trying to set some kind of seed up there
1: so so as soon as the flower particularly the white ones i find tend to uh, go over just that little bit quicker so we should pick those t- sort of trim those off uh, but leave the leaves until they at least start going brown if you if you want a, a tidy garden
2: yeah and if you want the daffodils to come back for you you need to let the leaves get completely brown because that's their only opportunity to be fed aside from some additional fertilizer that's what makes it a healthy bulb yeah
1: and 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 I th- I think you know when when you leave them uh, you know some people like to tidy them up well, I I say well, just put something else in front of them um, yeah. you know just, yeah. you know and and just get over it a little bit you know it'll uh, put a late, later season one because these things do go off on for several seasons um but anyway um in the next segment i guess we're going to talk about um, the different parts of the plant uh, the daffodil plant and how that affects that um, strange way that they are described in catalogues but we'll go for our first commercial break here and we'll be back talking more about daffodils with charlotte daffodil planter Germain on the master gardener hour we'll be back in just
0: a minute this is denise simon 18 hours a day i live in a world as an intelligence analyst what i find is reprehensible what i find is terrifying what i find is treasonous the mainstream media has completely failed the american people So join me for the Denise Simon Experience every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern.
3: Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes.
0: We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because I believe in practicing medicine the old fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that's individualized. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing or your child has frequent throat infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you will be treated as an individual, not an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all of your questions will be answered. And when possible, I will recommend natural treatments to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Tree ENT Center is where patient care counts. If you'd like to make an appointment, call 404-591-9100 or reach us on the web at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to the new and improved Master Gardener Hour, where I talk to gardeners all over the country. And remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook, the Master Gardener Hour, and. Uh all the shows, of course, will be archived, like all of those, on America's Web Radio. Just go onto the station site and look for Saturday, and you'll find all the Master Gardener Hour shows are archived there. You can find them on iTunes, and you can find them on Stitches, too. Just look for the Master Gardener Hour. So this morning, we are talking daffodils with Charlotte Daffodil Planter, Germaine. And I love that name. It took me a long time to fi- find your proper name because I just knew you as Charlotte Daffodil Planter. <laughs>
2: Um, <laughs> True. No, a lot of people call me Daff, yeah. <laughs> but let, let's go go through some
1: of the basics, um, because one of the things that, that are really, um, there are so many daffodils out there, and they're all described in this rather unique way, quite often in serious catalogs, without a picture. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that they are described uh, is, is a combination of co- colors and um the trumpet size and, and petal size. So, clarify for, for us: um, how exactly do the different classes of daffodils vary? What, what are the basic part, parts, and how does that um, determine which um, category they, they fall into?
2: Well, typically, with the uh, there are. Um I think 12 divisions, 12 or 13 divisions of daffodils at this point. And what they're, it it looks like a nightmare when you first see the list in a catalog. But what they're trying to do is tell you what the flower looks like and how many flowers there are on the stem. So, in terms of the flower structure, the daffodil has six uh, petals, basically. They're floral leaves on the outside, and those are called the perianth. So, it's the that six petal starburst on the outside and then in the middle of the daffodil it's what they call the corona or the cup or the trumpet that's what you're used to seeing in a classic yellow daffodil is the long-nosed trumpet and then in some daffodils instead of a trumpet it's got a very tiny cup in the center just the size of a pea really but that's what's going on it's you've got the perianth with the six six leaves and then the corona which is the cup in the middle and most daffodils have one flower to a stem, but there are a few classes that have multiple flowers to stems. For instance, uh, paper whites that people force inside in December and January, the, the long-stemmed white flowers, and you have multiple flowers on a stem, that's a tazetta that's a with a very fragrant flower, and that's one kind of division of daffodil. So, so is the Tazetta, um,
1: apart from being uh, several different on one stem, are they always fragrant or is it the, the fact that there are multiple um, flowering stems on one that makes it the Tazetta? Uh,
2: they're always uh, it's, The Tazetta flowers tend to be more fragrant than other kinds of daffodils, but Tazettas always have multiple flowers on a stem and uh, so do the jonquils which a lot of people in the South refer to any daffodil as jonquil because the jonquilla daffodil happens to be a kind of daffodil that does pretty well in a warm climate. So those are the best-known multiple flowers. Then there's something else that has two or more flowers to a stem, and they tend to hang down a little bit, and that's called a triandrus. And uh, that's a very beautiful group of daffodils, too. But the basic daffodil that Wordsworth wrote about that people see everywhere is division one and that's a trumpet. And it's got the long nose and it's a, a rather long, narrow trumpet. And then the division two is a large cup, so it looks a lot like the trumpet, but the, the trumpet part is wider and a little bit shorter. So
1: so it's the relationship between the trumpet and the petals regarding size that determines which uh, division they go to.
2: Right, right. And then the flower shape in general. um, There's something called the poet's daffodil, which is the one that's very, it's got a very flat look to it because it's just the the six petals. And that was the one I was talking about where the center cup is almost the size of a pea. It's very flat and tiny, and that's an old, old form of daffodil.
1: Oh yes, the the ornatus. That that's a beautiful, a beautiful uh-huh. little one. Um, uh-huh. So, um, what about the different? Colours. Um, I know there's basically white and, and yellow, um, but there are also different combinations. Um, do, are they basically, there's, there's whites and there's, there's yellow ones, uh, and the, the combination of the two is, is what also uh, is the description in the catalogs?
2: Yes, and that's, um, they're trying to be helpful, but I've always found that to be really quite unhelpful when you get into the <laughs> color descriptions in the catalogs. It's just, it's way too much trouble, but... What, one of the interesting things about the colors is that that um, poet's daffodil we were just talking about with the tiny cup in the middle is typically it has a green eye and then a yellow cup with a, a little red rim to the cup. And the red rim there is where they got the color for all the pink daffodils that we have now. So through breeding over the years, they managed to get cups that were a solid pale pink. Which is interesting. A lot of those, a lot of the pink daffodils are, are a large cup, but that's where the color comes from. Ooh,
1: nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so when, when it says, um, I, I was just lo- looking at one here, it says 2W-YYO. So t- tell me, what, what in the world is that? I mean, wouldn't a picture just be easier?
2: Well I think so. And I think this is, um, that's when you get into more of the you know the, the real daffodil expertise and it's people who want to be daffodil judges. I think that for the home gardener, it's just confusing to see that stuff. Yes. And it's, I think it's easier um, It's easier just to be looking at photographs and knowing what you've liked in your garden before. Yeah, because um, I think it's important to start out with a, a few kinds of daffodils and see what what's what you're most attracted to when they're blooming.
1: And and so so the first um, the first letter is the color of the leaves, and the second letter is, is the uh, color of the cup. Yeah, go, yeah. going going so, from the base to the to the front bit, or or is it from the front bit down to the bottom?
2: It's from the the. It's from the, it's for instance, um, accent is a very famous pink daffodil. And accent is two, which means it's in division two, which is large cup. And then it's a W, which means that it's white on the outside. The, so it has the six white petals. And then P is the next letter, and that P means it has a pink cup. Oh, okay. So it's the, the number is division number, and then the, the letters are for... The outside color and
1: the inside color, and and so um, you know when, when so it would go um, the the ornithus would be a nine W Y Y R means that it's got a, a yellow at the base of the trumpet and then a red rim. Is, is that right? Which one is that? Uh, it was Y Y R. Um, so there, there were three letters for the trumpet. Do, uh-huh. do do some of them have three different colors? Graduation. Th- graduating through that that trumpet itself
2: well the thing is that there's something called a halo behind the trumpet too on a lot of daffodils and so you have the perianth which is the basic background color of the the petals and then at the base the outside of the at the base of the trumpet at the inner edge of the perianth you can have a halo with a different color and then the the actual cup would be a third color Oh okay <laughs> as I say so, and so, then, then inside the cup can be another color as well.
1: Oh my goodness um, so, 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 so I, I guess when when you see the, the actual daffodil itself, it makes sense how they've described it, but sometimes it might be a little difficult to visualize what it means. Mm. Um, so, so sometimes it's easier I would imagine to um, to actually see the daffodil picture so that you can visualize some of these um, but let's start start with one of the the basic yy daffodils maybe a one or a two there's a your basic nice daffodil for the garden like um a, maybe a king alfred um th- those are good sturdy wa- uh, da- daffodils um that that would be just a, a yy are those good for uh, bringing inside in arrangements and things like that
2: oh yes yeah and i think they all work wonderfully in arrangements um, instead of King Alfred's, which bloom a little later, I always uh, plant Rinveld's Early Sensation, and uh, because it's, it shows up two weeks earlier. And um, yellow trumpets are nice; they're not as interesting as you know the other twenty-five thousand daffodils out there. And uh, Rinveld's is spelled R-I-J-N-V-E-L-D apostrophe S Early Sensation, and it's of course a Dutch name. Um, the thing about daffodils. In arrangements inside, uh, they're easy to work with. You're not going to have a lot of pollen dropping off onto the table the way you do with big lilies. But you can't mix the daffodils with any other flowers in the vase because daffodils are poisonous, which is why the deer don't eat them and the gophers don't eat them. And uh, if you put them in the same vase with tulips or any other flowers, they'll poison the other flower and make it wilt. Much more quickly, so it's important to just you know grow a bunch of different kinds of daffodils in your garden, and they'll you'll have lots of varieties blooming at the same time, and it makes a beautiful display. And just don't ever mix them with anything else, and don't put other branches of anything in there. But they are incredibly poisonous. And one of the tales that you'll hear if you talk to a daffodil person for more than five minutes is that in ancient Rome, the soldiers used to carry a daffodil bulb with them into battle. And that way, if they were mortally wounded out on a battlefield, instead of having a long, drawn-out, painful death, they could bite into the daffodil bulb, which doesn't taste very good. But it has sort of a narcotic effect right away, and then it uh, would kill them pretty quickly, too. Oh, my. So they really are poisonous. It's fine to handle them. You don't need to use gloves when you're working with them, and they won't make your fingers itch the way a hyacinth bulb might. But they are... you know, squirrels will dig them up sometimes and throw them around, but uh, no critters ever going to eat them.
1: And, and that po- poison also includes the leaves and things like that?
2: Yes. Yeah, the whole thing. The flower, the leaves, everything.
1: So is it the sort of thing then that, that we should be careful with? young children then? Because, I, you know, you hear, hear a lot of t- tales with poinsettias and things like that being poisonous, mm-hmm. but I have never heard a daffodil being um, given a caution with, with families with young children. Um, should we be concerned about that?
2: Um, I think, you know, if if you've got a kid who's chewing on a plant, um, you'd, you should definitely let them know not to eat the daffodils. Um, the nice thing about them is that uh, the... They're usually growing at a time of year when kids aren't in the garden that much because it's pretty cool. So they aren't out rushing around in the snow. And I've never heard of dogs trying to eat them, for instance. Uh, you know, you hear that you shouldn't be growing digitalis in gardens with children or dogs because yeah. of, you know, poison issues um, or toxicity. Um but I've never heard of cats nibbling on the leaves or, or anybody getting into trouble with them.
1: Maybe they have a slight odor to them which repels all these things knowing that they, they aren't supposed to to eat eat it. But that, I, I didn't realize that they were that poisonous overall. But, you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here. But I want to remind you that you're listening to the Master Gardener Hour. And we will be back talking more about daffodils with Charlotte daffodil planter Germaine And when we come back, we'll talk about some more stories that uh, of some of her favorite varieties we will be right back
3: hello i'm dr mike karuchak have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves if you do join us on the doctor's lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves join me and my co-host dr hal shirts every thursday morning 8 to 9 a.m quick stakes. that's
2: don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power america on butterflies rainbows and pixie dust i'm marita noon get the truth about energy on my show america's voice for energy only on america's web
3: radio
0: this is america's web radio.com the best in chat radio designed just for you
1: You're back listening to the Master Gardener Hour, and I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey. And this morning, we are talking with fellow Master Gardener from Virginia, um, Charlotte Daffodil Planter Germaine. And actually, Charlotte, Virginia, where you are now, I don't know where you certified, but that is actually where I certified back in 2001 or so. Great program they have there. Oh, Wonderful.
2: Um, Yes, I I work at River Farm, which is the botanical garden headquarters of the American Horticultural Society. We're just south of Old Town Alexandria, right on the Potomac, and it's a free 25-acre garden. Uh, People are welcome to come uh, any day, Monday through Friday, and then we're open on Saturday mornings in the the summer and fall. But um, I trained in the Sierra Nevada foothills in California, and that was actually Zone 7B, which is the same Depending on which little microclimate you're in, it's a very similar climate. It's just, of course, that there's, it's quite arid in the Sierra Nevada foothills as opposed to humid. But um, we've got some things in common. But it's, they're both beautiful parts of the world.
1: Oh, yes. I, I didn't realize California had a 7B. I, I thought everybody was right. kind, kind of 9 and 10. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. But in, anyway, um, you, you've been obviously in, interested in, in daffodils for a while. Um, do you actually go out and look at daffodils um, in shows and things like that to figure out which ones you want next time?
2: Yes, and it was so exciting. The first time I went to a daffodil show, It was. I was very fortunate because They had the National Daffodil Show nearby in the Gold Country. So uh, it was about two hours away from where I lived in Nevada City. And I got to see hundreds of daffodils in real life instead of just on websites and in catalogs. And daffodil people are incredibly friendly. When I got to the show, the people from the Northern California Daffodil Society were right there ready and very welcoming. And then Brent Heath of Brent and Becky's Bulbs, asked me which flowers I was most interested in, and we spent some time at the heirloom daffodil table, and he told me lots of stories about the older daffodils that I had just read about in books. So daffodil people all over the country are wonderful. I met uh, breeders from New Zealand there, from Ireland. There are so many daffodil farmers in Cornwall, too. But I really encourage people to go to a show this coming spring and take a look at, at what's out there. Everything's labeled real clearly, and you'll be able to see the shows are usually free. And uh, I've got some listings of shows in the right-hand sidebar on my blog, which is called Daffodil Planter. You just type that in, and, and you'll get right there. So, it's a, a fun thing to do on a, a rainy spring weekend, and uh, make a list and buy up for the next year. And, and one
1: thing we, we haven't talked about too much is the, the succession of different ones. But it, when you plant them, um, they're better off in groups rather than single ones like a, a, an airport runway. Is that right?
2: Well, yeah. It's um, you know It depends on what you're looking for, too. One of the fun things about daffodils is you can just tuck them in wherever there's room to to do a a quick dip down and stick a bulb in, but typically um, they say that it's nice to plant them in groups of 10. Um, Some people, of course, say, oh, nothing less than 25, but it just depends on, you know, how much acreage you have to deal with. I like to plant them in small groups of the same kind. Um, Other people like to just get, you know, sort of the leftover mixes and Put them all out together and see. You know, just have a good time seeing what comes up when. If you want to plant them in small groups, so then you can also label them and see what, how it looks in your garden, how it does in your garden too. See who's still showing up for you in year four and year five, and that helps you decide what to get more of, and also you know which which one looks good to you, blowing in the spring breeze. But you can plant uh, so that you've got a succession of bloom for at least two months, and it's. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, and and if you find that you've got maybe too many in one location that are plant, uh, maybe blooming later uh, and not enough early ones, can you uh, when you trim them back uh, because the, the the top growth is is dead, can you uh, move them around at that point, um, or should you wait and mark them and, and maybe move them later in the year?
2: Ideally, you would move them at the same time that you'd be planting the new bulbs. But you know, you can always, it just depends on what you have to do. If you know that's just not going to happen, that come November you will have moved on to other garden projects, you can <laughs> dig and move them in the spring. It's just that, you know, it, it's just not an ideal time because the bulb is not settled and ready to go the way it will be in the fall.
1: And what, one of the things I found in one of the houses that we've got some beautiful daffodil displays, and some of them had quite naturalized. And I've seen this along oh. the roadside once or twice. But there seems to be a whole heap of green and not too many flowers. Uh-huh. Um, what, what exactly is a remedy for too, too much growth and not enough flowers?
2: Well, they probably um, aren't getting enough phosphorus, and they're also probably not getting enough sunshine. So that's one of the things that happens with daffodils is that sometimes they've been planted in a spot that was sunny and then the surrounding bushes or trees grow up to such an extent that the daffodils don't get enough sunlight and then you get the leaves and you don't get any blooms. They need, Ideally, they need eight hours a day of sunshine. Uh, sometimes they can do, do all right with four to six hours, but I think that uh, locating your daffodils is... 80% of the battle. Uh, daffodils, really—they nice, they need to be in a well-drained spot. If you've got a sort of a damp spot in the garden, don't even think about putting daffodils there. And if you've got a lovely spot right outside your kitchen window, and this is exactly what I did, and it was under some trees, and I thought, oh, but this is exactly where I want to see daffodils, and I planted them and They came up year after year after year and and never bloomed there because it just wasn't sunny enough. So (laughs) they had a a nice big patch of passional, and I never saw the flowers on them. So it's, uh, you know, one of the things about planting daffodils is whether you fertilize at the time of planting or not. And people have different points of view, but whether you fertilize or not, uh, just don't ever dig the hole, put powdered fertilizer in, and then stick the bulb right on top of the fertilizer because it can burn the bulb. So you'd always mix whatever you were using in with a couple of, you know, an inch or so of soil and then put the bulb back in. But phosphorus is important for making flowers bloom, and phosphorus doesn't migrate in the soil uh, vertically. It'll migrate a little bit horizontally so the only chance you have to give any phosphorus to the bulb is the first time that you plant it. And it's, it's important to put phosphorus in, especially if you're hoping to naturalize the bulbs and have them so, go on year after year. So,
1: so you'd plant the bulb and then sprinkle the phosphorus on top of the ground rather than in the hole with it.
2: Is that right? No, I, no you put the phosphorus in the, in the hole because you need it to be at the root of the plant and that's your only chance to get it at the root. So you'd mix the phosphorus in with the soil and then put the bulb in. Oh, okay. um, the other trick with the phosphorus is that it depends on the pH of your soil, which kind of phosphorus source, because it's the pH, uh, you, need, you need to know how what the acid or alkaline uh, situation is with your soil so that it reacts properly to the phosphorus. So if you have an acid kind of soil... Then you can use um, bone meal or soft rock phosphate. And if you're in a, uh, you know, in an area that needs, uh, you know, that's typically low in phosphorus, you may be putting soft rock phosphate in with all your perennials. And then if you're in an alkaline area, you need something. Those won't break down properly, so you have to use a high phosphorus uh, guano that you could get from your local garden center because that'll break down. So it's important to put phosphorus in with them. I put compost in with them as well, and uh, other people do, you know, the classic bulb food, which has nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in it. But, um, you know, that's controversial about whether or not you need <laughs> to have nitrogen down there. But, you uh, you know, it's so it depends. But the most important thing is well-drained and some places – where they will have full sun. It can be under a tree as long as the tree is deciduous and the leaves will be off during that time.
1: Yeah, and and I say, I, I think they're great first thing in spring when you see them come up um, and 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 they do get knocked over by snow. But what about um, forcing them in inside? Um, should we get the daffodils bulbs now and then put a couple of them in the beer fridge and then take them out at Christmas and plant them? Or, or what's the best way of doing that?
2: Um, In terms of forcing, I mean, and of course when you're forcing, if you're chilling any bulbs at all in the fridge, you know, the rule of thumb is always make sure there aren't any apples in the fridge because they'll release the gas that inhibits the the bulb growth. But um, in terms of forcing, I think what's easiest for me is just to put them in a container and, you know, plant them in soil in a container and put it in a cold garage and then bring it out after about 10 weeks.
1: Okay, so it needs 10, ten weeks of cold. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that, that would bring us back to pro- probably just after the new year, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. h- how late in the year can we actually plant the bulbs outside? Is it fair to say that so long as you can dig in the ground, you can plant them, as um, so long as you've had a frost and it's cooled down?
2: Yes, and um, you can plant, I, I think you can, I mean, I've planted very late as long as the ground's not frozen. Ideally, you wait until the, the ground is, uh, until, like you said, after the first frost and, uh, you know, late October and November are great times to plant. December is a nice time to plant. It's embarrassing if you're planting in January, but it works. <laughs> and, you know, they're bulbs, so they've already, you know, they're raring to go. So you can put them in and they will come up. And they're, um, what you don't want to do is leave them in the garage, until next fall because they'll dry out and you won't get anything out of them. So no matter how late you are in planting your bulbs, just get them in the soil, and that's, that's the best thing to do if you've been late on your planting scheme.
1: So, so I'm not the only one that forgets them then? <laughs> no,
2: no, and that's the terrible thing about bulb catalogs is that they're full of all these gorgeous pictures and, you know, you can get together with friends and decide you're going to split orders and you order all these bulbs and pretty soon you've got 100 bulbs sitting on your front step and <laughs> you've got to do something and it's uh, it's tricky. So that's I'm a big advocate of planting in trenches instead of doing them one at a time because it's just much easier to do some sort of a curved trench and... You know, you dig it, put your soil amendment in, whatever you're doing, and then put your bulbs in, layer them with the tulips or with the muscari or uh, the crocus, yeah. you know, do, do attract. Uh, that those might be eaten, but they're certainly nice to put in I, and,
1: I and I would imagine if the ground outside is just that little bit too frozen or, in, you know, has been covered in, in snow, which seems to already be arriving, may, maybe True. just put put them in a container and sit them on the front porch. That would work.
2: I think so, and um, it depends on how cold your front porch gets. You might want to have them indoors where the container isn't going to crack and freeze. But um, the other thing is that once they're in a container, you do need to, once they've bloomed for you, you do need to pull them out and put them in the ground for the next year because they they don't get enough um, nourishment in a container to be happy for a second year.
1: Oh, okay. That's, that would be something to remember. Um, but, you know, we need to go for um, our final commercial break here. Uh, but come back and listen to more about daffodils with Charlotte Daffodil Planter-Germaine. And when we come back, she'll tell us about some resources and books. You're listening to the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio. And we will be right back.
3: Quick stakes. That's Quick QUIK Stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, QUIK Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link.
0: This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare. And learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: hope you're enjoying the Master Gardener Hour this morning. We have been talking all about daffodils with Charlotte Daffodil Planter-Germaine. And Charlotte, I know you've got a blog, um, and I know I I saw on it a list of some of your favorite uh, daffodils, um, the the early, mid and late, which we were going to talk about in the previous segment, but didn't quite get to. So maybe you could share that right now, um, some of your your favorite early, mid and late um, daffodils that are on that list.
2: Yes, I was thinking about what daffodils I'd recommend to someone who was getting started with daffodils, and I thought, what's what's especially beautiful, especially sturdy, easy, and that they would uh, naturalize, which is uh, naturalized means that they would keep producing bulbs over the years. So um, my, of course, for early season, my favorite is Rinville's Early Sensation, and then another early that is very pretty. And all these daffodils we'll be talking about are things that you can find at your garden center if you don't want to order from the the bulb catalogs. But Barrett Browning is very pretty. Men like Barrett Browning a lot. It's white with a small bright orange cup. And then there's the tiny tete-a-tete, which is the little yellow trumpet, and those bloom early. Then mid-season comes a couple of weeks later. uh, The famous pink daffodil is Accent, which is a creamy... Perianth with a salmon-y cup. And then Ice Follies is a, a daffodil you've seen everywhere. It's white with a pale yellow cup that then turns whiter. Uh, Salome, S-A-L-O-M-E, is ivory with a peach cup. There's a, another very pretty one called Peeping Tom, which is a cyclomineus, and it has the, the perianth looks like it's sort of blowing back in a stiff breeze. And that's a little yellow one. And one of these poet daffodils is Actea, so that's a, a flat white daffodil with a tiny yellow cup with the green eye and the little red rim around the edge. Ooh. And to wrap up the season is Thalia, which many people say is the most beautiful of all daffodils, and that's uh, an ivory daffodil with some two or three nodding heads per stem, and then the jonquil quail. Which is a smaller, bright yellow daffodil. So those, uh, those are on a list on my blog called Daffodil Planter, and you can find them anywhere. But it's fun to order from the catalogs too. It's uh, they're running out of. Some of the most popular ones are running out of some of the most unusual ones, but there's still a lot of selection. And we're getting into the sale time at the catalogs, too, which is very exciting.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, if it's on sale, go for it.
2: Absolutely. Um,
1: <laughs> and actually, one one of the ones that you, that's not on your list that I used to think was one of the most interesting little daffodils was Rip Van Winkle oh. and that little thing is only about six inches high and I seem to remember it was quite late um, to bloom but that's kind of a fuzzy little head it didn't look like a daffodil to me at all.
2: Well there, there are some very unusual daffodils too the hoop daffodils have um, that's a very distinctive look and then there are the double daffodils which um, is a, uh, looks almost like a it doesn't look like a rose, but it's got a whole lot of petals on it. And to me, it, it doesn't look as enough like a daffodil for me to want to grow it. But some people get very excited about it. And there are things called split corona, where the cup is split, and um, it looks sort of like a butterfly. So there is a lot of fun stuff in the daffodil bulb catalogs and on the websites. Um, Brent and Becky's is a very famous bulb group with wonderful quality, so is um, Sheepers, Um, and then Sheepers has a a wholesale branch called Van Engelen, so if you're in a situation where you can buy 50 bulbs and share them with friends, you can get a better price through Van Engelen, but it's the same quality as the Sheepers, and uh, Old House has lots of wonderful heirloom daffodils, so um, there's, uh, I'll be putting up a new post on my blog, too, that will link to an article from American Horticultural Society magazine. And there are a lot of resources listed there about which are some of the best bulb companies.
1: And, and the Southern Bulb Company is another one for the South. Um, that Absolutely. does some great ones. Um, but, but let me see, you're, you're, there's also the Daffodil Society. Um, that's a nationwide, with, with does that have groups in different areas?
2: It doesn't have groups in different areas, but it's the umbrella organization of all the local daffodil societies. And American Daffodil Society has a great Facebook page. It's uh, You can go sign up for that and you'll see some wonderful daffodil photograph every day. It's daffodilusa.org is their website. And the where I was in Northern California, I was blessed to have these daffodil experts who were doing a lot of breeding of tiny daffodils green daffodils they speak at international conventions about daffodils so if you're in northern california definitely join northern california daffodil society because they have a zillion shows plus they have bulb swaps and sell each other bulbs at very low prices in the fall and uh, they're lovely people but if you go to American Daffodil Society's website, you'll find a link there that shows you the Daffodil Societies in your area. Uh, it's not very expensive to join. It's usually about $15 or $20. And if you join American Daffodil Society, you'll get a, a daffodil journal four times a year. But on my uh, blog, I've got uh, a list on the right sidebar of some of the shows and uh, One thing that's exciting is that the World Convention will be in St. Louis in 2016. So if you're anywhere near the Missouri Botanical Garden, you could see daffodil people from all over the world. The convention for the United States this year is going to be in Williamsburg, Virginia, down near Brent and Becky's Bulbs. Oh, nice. So that should be very, very pretty. And there are daffodil festivals all over the place. Uh, Nantucket has an adorable one that's been going on for years where the whole town goes daffodil crazy and they have decorated antique cars and people wear daffodil hats and the whole thing so it's you know it's a lot of fun and it's very um sweet and old-fashioned oh
1: that that sounds sounds like a great idea um you know particularly if you get the old cars around as well Mm -hmm. yes of, of course you um you know we do get late storms um does that typically affect any any of the shows do they get postponed and put on the following weekend if there's
2: a storm no, they, keep, they soldier on, and the, the problem usually is, I mean, storms can be tricky in terms of people getting around, but the, the real horror is if it gets hot too early in the spring, and then all your daffodils frizzle in the sun, and there's just nothing left by the time the show starts, everybody's come and gone. So that was a real problem this year, that some of the daffodil shows were quite late, and there wasn't much left to be shown.
1: I, don't, I seem to remember last year's spring went on forever. Um, yeah. It was very cool.
2: Um, yeah, but it, was, it, it got a little too warm too fast in some places, so it was tricky. But oh. it's, um, it's a lot of fun. And then schools uh, sell daffodils as fundraisers. I know my Master Gardener group in Nevada County had done a wonderful thing over the decades of planting daffodils along the highway until Highway 49 was just covered with uh, daffodils on both sides of the road. Oh, and, lovely. Uh, we planted at the hospital and it's um it's a, a fundraiser for american cancer society often or daffodil days so it's a very um life-affirming plant
1: and and the fact that it co- comes out before most other things is and mm-hmm. that cheerful yellow it always reminds me of easter uh, mm-hmm. not not that it coincides particularly with easter um but uh, you know it it it's always such fun to see the daffodils first in in the year, and, and I, I I'm a procrastinator. I haven't even ordered mine yet, but I must get round to it. Um, what type of things are you going to be ordering this year? We've got about t- two minutes left, so uh, do, are there some that's on your must-have list this year?
2: Well, I haven't I haven't ordered mine yet either, so <laughs> I'm going to go to the I'm going to go and see what's on sale that I've never tried before. And branch out a little bit and do something different, like split Corona daffodils I've never tried. And um, I wanted to, I think I'll do some containers and force uh, some of the little ones, some of the cyclominias, and see how that goes. As I just moved out here, so I'm actually in an apartment right now, so I don't have my, my half acre of garden anymore. So oh. I've, I've got to do something a little bit different and, and see what I can come up with.
1: Do you, do you have a little little patio or something that you can put them on, or
2: <laughs> no? But uh. fortunately, I do work at a botanic garden, so oh. I've got some space
1: here. So oh, so so you can you can get get your joy in in that part, but you you'll have to force them inside. And and yeah. you know um there, there are some great books and articles on forcing daffodils and all sorts of plants indoors. Um, and and I guess with a little bit of extra light, they do seem to work quite well. In fact, one year I did it, and the ones outside though bloomed before the one's inside i'm not quite sure what i got what i oh. did wrong um
2: well I... as long as they bloom and it's so much fun to see them up close too and um i love forcing muscari as well because you can see the all the little beads on the grape hyacinth they're wonderful and you've got them on the kitchen counter but in terms of other blogs about daffodils there's a, a terrific blog called all about daffodils i'm tyla from the south and uh there's also a a fun blog called first daffodils and people send in photographs from all over the world of when the daffodils have just started blooming. So you see daffodils in Oxford and daffodils in Cornwall and daffodils in all parts of the United States. And it's just a delight to, to see those coming in.
1: So, so that type of thing would take off, uh, probably in January then. Um, yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And she's, uh, she renames the blog every year. It's, it's currently called First Daffodils 2014, but it'll turn into First Daffodils 2015 any minute. Oh, that that'll
1: be a fun fun one. Uh, a little, little bit more mature than than the Santa thing that goes around the world.
2: <laughs> um. Exactly. Yeah. No. These, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Real flowers. Yes, <laughs> you, you
1: you have to have kids to know about the uh, the, the Santa one, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, Santa Tracker. But yeah,
2: it's it's lovely to see them, especially you know when it's January and everything's dark and you see three daffodils blooming in a park in Manhattan and it's exciting. Yes. But in terms of the basic book, um, I think that the one of the most accessible is Daffodils for American Gardens by Brent and Becky Heath, and it's got. Um, a lot of information, but it's not its not going to overwhelm you, and I think that's a great place to start. Uh, Timber Press is very well known for in-depth books on topics, and they have a, a wonderful daffodil book by Noel Kingsbury just called Daffodil. So those are two excellent ones, and then uh, Heirloom Bulbs, is especially, it's especially, it has daffodils plus other kinds of bulbs, and that's about Uh, bulbs that are mostly in the South by Chris Weisinger. Oh and yes, that's very well regarded too.
1: Oh, the bulb hunter, yes. Yeah, and and in fact, he is going to be the guest next week, talking all about um, some of those heirloom bulbs, particularly oh, and and gathering all the bulbs and and how that all started. Um, oh, he's yes. got great stories. Oh, oh, he does, and uh, you know that that should be a fun fun show. Um, but we're right at the end of the show, Charlotte. Thank you so much for being a guest this morning, and Clara and all the way that those uh, daffodils are, are described in catalogs and why. Um, everyone, we will be back next week talking all about gardens everywhere. Uh, so this is Kate Copsey signing off for this week. Have a good gardening week, everyone. And join me back here for the Master Gardener Hour next Saturday.
0: This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.